0: Hello, I'm Rob Langham and welcome to episode four of Sounding Board, hot on the heels of our last episode. We're probably making parallels to Baby Bird releasing four not very good albums in a year. But anyway, here we are. We're aiming to be a roughly monthly music podcast and we can be found at soundingboard.podbean.com as well as via a search in iTunes where you can subscribe. This time... We thought we'd take the musical temperature of the year so far by looking back at some of the releases that caught our eye as well as our ears. A few gigs we've attended. Well, our chosen album of the month to review is Wires, wondrously titled Nocturnal Koreans. But first, some music news, and I think there is something that both of our regular panelists, Neil Kennedy and Ben Woolhead, will be fighting with each other to get off their chests. <laughs> I'll I'll start with Ben.
1: Um, well, the, the big news is about um, all tomorrow's parties, um, and it's the they had two weekenders uh, planned for April. Um, the first one, uh, curated by Stuart Lee, went ahead, um, and the second one, curated by Drive Like Jehu, was cancelled, or the announcement was made it had been cancelled the morning after the Stuart Lee one, so uh, with less than a week's notice, um, and they cited uh, a lack of financial viability. Um, now, initially, it was, it was supposed to be at Pontins in Prestatin, like the Stuart Lee one, um, then it was moved, again, fairly short notice, to Victoria Warehouse in Manchester, um, now there wouldn't have been any accommodation there, so it would have been a completely yeah. different type of festival anyway. Um they the band had assembled a great bill, um, including uh Hot Snakes and Rock from the Crypt, who uh members of um Drive Like Jehu also play in. Um understandably the, the band are furious. Um the quote that they, they put um online was that it's a uniquely cruel hoax to appeal to Drive Like Jehu's ego and ask us to create a program based on personally inviting the bands and musicians that have inspired us and changed the way we hear music, and then subject them and their supporters to this. Um, they've admitted to a sort of blind faith that everything would go fine, um, despite the problems along the way, which is kind of similar to a lot of fans as well. Um, uh, I, I think Barry Hogan, who's behind Baltimore's parties, um, has always been seen as a as a Ray-Body enthusiastic music fan with his heart in the right place. Um, but sort of increasingly, uh, there's been a sense where he's lacking in the sort of business acumen that's needed. But I think now his actual love of the band is being called into question because of the way that he's been forced to treat them. I think um, so. There's a lot of uh, a lot of um, goodwill has completely evaporated for ATP, um, and even even sort of, um, sort of strongest uh, supporters in the music business. So. Stuart Braithwaite, for instance, was on um on Twitter and he, he uh said how sad it was and actually criticised those who reacted gleefully to this this news of, of this uh, weekend uh, um being cancelled on ATP's probable probable collapse. Um but he, he surely has to accept that the you know fans are right to be angry. Um and Barry Burns, his his bandmate in Mogwai was actually Uh, having a conversation on twitter with jeff barrow of porter said again another band who's been closely associated with atp um and jeff Barrow actually accepted that the bands who are already short of money have been treated very poorly um so it seems to me like the the sort of last vestiges of brand loyalty have been gone i I, i've i've never been burned personally um but i I have to say i wouldn't want to commit to any of their events Mm. now which is it's a, it's a terrible shame because they've been responsible for I went to seven of their weekends in the <coughs> space of three years, uh, four years rather, and I've they're responsible for some of the best weekends I've ever had. But I think it's mm-hmm. it's surely impossible for them to come back from this. I would have thought. Yeah. Um, well, I have been burnt personally. Yes. <laughs> so at least uh, then.
2: because I was one of the uh, I was one of the the mugs who put down the money for the Jabberwocky festival that they uh, that they were going to be doing. Kind of in the middle of nowhere, well, not in the middle of nowhere, but in the XL Centre, I think it was meant to be in London, yeah. and it was a very good lineup. I think headliners one night were Neutral Milk Hotel, and they had um, some. Re- uh, they, they had a really good lineup up Death across across and Death on, were yeah. playing yeah, like the OCs, and really great lineup. But that was um, cancelled at short notice. You know, claims of oh, you know, we thought that you know it was going to work out, but it didn't. Bands didn't get paid. Um, bands, you know, who many of whom have sort of set up their kind of routes of travel and things, and their tours and their accommodation to play the show. The audience didn't get refunded, or certainly, I never saw any money come back to me. So, and I can't believe I'm the only person who didn't. Um, no, not Genevieve. Really well online, there. No. Yeah, and <coughs> so they have had form, and I think you might get, you might have more sympathy. If you thought this is a new young bunch of promoters who've decided they're really into these bands, they want to try and make something work, you know, and it hasn't worked, but it's happened to them before. They're not a new promotion company. They've got a long history and track record of putting things on at venues. I'm sure there are issues with some of the venues that they want to use, and maybe they've decided that they don't want to work with them anymore, but... You know, I think, and I do feel, I feel for Drive Like Jehu as I like as a band, I think they're a really good band. And they obviously have had to appeal to, you know, they haven't been around for a long time, they only recently reformed. So they've obviously had to sort of appeal to friends, uh, fellow musicians to say, hey, come over and do this thing in the UK. And then they end up with like egg on their face massively yeah. when it all falls apart. And the idea that you'd sort of plan to do something in, in Wales and then a few. You know, weeks before it's happening, just say, "Oh, actually, we're going to do it up in Manchester." You know, completely pulls the rug out from everyone's feet. Um, and yeah, sadly, it kind of only looked like it was going to go one way from there. I, I mean,
1: I, I one thing I did wonder is whether um, the target. I mean, I, I always look at their bills for the weekends mm. and think that is amazing. Yeah. So I, I think I am the target audience. Mm. But I wonder whether. I mean, I went several several of their festivals sort of uh, between 2009 and 2012. Um, but now, a few years on, I'm shorter of money. I've got mm. family commitments. Um, I'd love to be going to these events. I'd love to have gone to both the, the both the Drive Like Jay one and the Stuart Lee one. Um, but I'm just not really able to, I haven't got the freedom to go anymore. Um, and I wonder whether they're, they're also suffering by the sort of failure to draw in younger fans. The acts that they're putting on, the fact that they've, they've got a real, um, it's, a, it's a good thing in many ways, they've got a, a sort of Uh, track record of of getting great bands like Drive Out to reform for the occasion Um, and I've seen some fantastic bands who've reformed to play at ATPs but that makes it almost more of a sort of heritage industry and it's not appealing to um, your average um, sort of teenager the the crowds are quite um, not elderly but you know they're not um, not, it's not a young person's festival really so
0: Okay, well, sorry for that rather gloomy start to the show, <laughs> but don't blame us, blame ATP. Uh, but, you know, we'd like to get your feedback on that, definitely. If other people have been burnt or are particularly unhappy about it, listening to this podcast, and, you know, maybe giving Drive Like Jay Who some publicity and giving them a few boosts yeah. would be a good, good, good reaction to this. Uh, so on to our main thing so far um, for this show, um, our fourth show. And that is the musical landscape so far this year. Um, You might remember in the first show, we went back and looked at some of 2015's highlights. uh, But we thought we would look at what's been happening in the first four months of the year and pick out a best album each or an album that we've enjoyed each, not necessarily our best, and one or two other highlights. Um, So Neil, I I wanted to start (coughs) with you. And um, I think you've got a name that have come back with their second album. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
2: um, the album that I've been... Um, enjoying mostly enjoying recently um is the uh, the new one by, by teleman um uh which is called Brilliant Sanity and um it's yes yeah, so it's their second record. They're the band that formed out of Pete and the Pirates um and uh who I was a big fan of I think their um, their second album, One Thousand Pitch, is a really really great record. Um so I was quite disappointed when they decided they weren't gonna carry on anymore. But um, three of them went on and formed this new band, Telemann, and I think, as much as I enjoy Pete I think they are really kind of taken a step up, both this new record from when they started with Telemann and from what they did before. Um, the two kind of lead-off tracks on the record, Dusseldorf and Fallen Time, are, um, I think, a massive kind of step up from what they've done before, clearly the best kind of songs that they've written. Um and I think this record hangs together an, an awful lot better than the album before breakfast, which, as much as I did enjoy some elements of it, I think it had a bit of a tendency to, you know, sort of fall off towards the end. Um, they've got a really very kind of English vocal, very Reading vocal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from, from the singer, um, but then there's there's a, there's a real kind of krautrock element to the rhythms, some really interesting things going on with the. The synths that doesn't overpower the music, but is an amazing complement to it. And there's also a kind of psychedelia vein that runs through it, but that is never kind of too over the top. I find it just is sort of slightly weird and takes it off in interesting directions. Um, and I think one one of the great things, as a slightly broader theme that comes out of it, is we've, we've talked me talking about this <coughs> record. Now, in the last episode we talked about Anna Meredith's album both out on Mushy Mushy Records. And they've also had out the Meher Jones album. He was previously in Racehorses. Race horses, yeah. um, and they've had out the Kieran Leonard album, which, you know, everyone's been going absolutely mad for. And um, what I've heard off of it, I thought, is really, really impressive. And it's really good, I think, at now we're kind of firmly in the digital age to be seeing a record label where you're really starting to go to them and look and see... What are they bringing out? What's coming out from them next? Because I think we probably all admit that there are certain labels that we really love. And if you can get excited about you know, what a label's doing with the bands they're bringing out, it's always a really good thing
0: yeah I mean I I think it has a lineage that dates back to the kinks really it does have that kind of songwriting yeah. kind of class and um, as a native of Berkshire I do approve of like uh, <laughs> them following in the footsteps of the likes of Slow Dive and Cooper Temple Claws Um Ben don't forget Ben uh, yeah. <laughs> in representing Reading um, but yeah no cracking album and I particularly would like to single out uh, the penultimate track Dropout which I think is absolutely terrific it's like a bit of a slow burner slower song Lots of changes of pace, a real epic. I can imagine that's going to go down fantastically live. Yeah. Um, really, really keen to see them live. I've seen them live before. I think they might have been supporting. They support Maxima Park. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I um, have to say I wasn't that I'm impressed at the time, but I haven't <coughs> heard any of so I can't really comment. It. Oh, it's, it's I, a I, big step up. I'd say yeah. so, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. There's There's a lot to enjoy on it, definitely. Mm.
0: So Ben, I think you were gonna talk about Besnard Legs. Yeah, Besnard so, Lakes. Well
1: uh Neil was talking about Moshi um, Moshi and the sort of a label becoming like a brand effectively, like Jag Jaguar yeah. a, a label for me who I look at their their output and think it's almost almost like a sort of automatic badge of quality really. Um Besnard Lakes are, are on on Jag Jaguar. Um now they are um a band a Canadian band, um, formed around a husband and wife um duo, Jace Sklysek and Olga Gorias. Um And Jay Static is the co-founder of a studios in Canada, Break Glass Studios in in Montreal, um, where a lot of other Canadian bands have recorded, the likes of Holy Fuck and Stars and people like that. Um, So he knows his way around the studio, shall we say, and and the albums that his his band have put out show that. Um, So the the new album is called um, A Coliseum Complex Museum, um, which uh, is a bit of an awkward mouthful. um, And... I think it sort of gives a clue as to what the what the uh, the content of the album is like. Um there's a song on there called Towers Center to Sheets of Sound. Another one called Tungsten Four Colon, the refugee. Um <laughs> their previous album was called Until in Excess Imperceptible UFO uh and the cover on the image of the latest one, um, is of a sort of orb right either rising out or descending into some water. Um, so let's just say that we're in sort of prog territory here, say, yeah. um, and, and like, liking them does slightly offend the sort of uh, the punk element of my music <laughs> taste, but um, they are a tremendous band. This is this is almost an excuse for me to talk about them rather than the album. The album itself, I wouldn't say, adds a great deal to their back catalogue, um, other than being a bit more focused maybe and less indulgent, possibly. Um that was actually the objective um they've said they wanted to be a little bit more compact and condensed um if you had to describe what they sound like it's it's a somewhere between shoegaze prog rock and the beach boys um they are i mean that doesn't do it justice i don't think <clears throat> an absolutely absolutely tremendous band um possibly better uh on record than live um because of all the studio aspects mm. of it um if I had to pick uh, a record from their, their back catalogue, it would be um, the first one I heard, which was Besnard Lakes of the Dark Horse, which was the um, second album back in 2007. Um, that is where I'd probably recommend people start, but this latest album has got um, quite a lot of sort of bite-size, uh, bite-size introductions to their music. Uh, the two, I think they're both singles, um, Golden Lion, which was released as an EP, um, and uh, The Plain Moon, both really, really good songs. Um, so, yeah, I definitely recommend checking them out um, if you like the sound of any of any of that together. But, yeah, be- Beach Boys and Shoegaze with a lot of prog as well.
0: Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my album so far this year, I think, would have to be Anna Meredith's, which we reviewed in the last show. So if you want to hear that, go back and listen to episode three. Um, so the one I'm going to pick out, because we've already talked about Anna Meredith's at great length, is PJ Harvey's new album, The Hope Six, Demolition Project, In some ways, it's a companion piece to her last album, Let England Shake, which I think a lot of people saw as as one of her strongest. It has lots of horns and lots of John Parrish vocals, but it's a more internationally driven record altogether. The title of the album is actually a reference to the US's controversial Hope 6 Urban Renewal Stroke Social Cleansing Project, um, although they probably don't call it social cleansing. Uh, While elsewhere, you know... Trouble in Kosovo and Afghanistan informed the LP. So, you know, there's a lot going on. And I'm a firm believer that we do need more political albums these days. Bands and artists could do with thinking less about search engine optimization <laughs> yeah. and avoiding upsetting <clears throat> sections of their fan base, how many tweets, they, how many hits they get on Twitter, etc. I mean, they really, we do want people to start engaging with the issues, but there's some big stuff going on. And we just want people to be more honest about, you know, what they believe. Um, I only bought the album on Friday, but I'm fully expected to immerse myself in the tracks and the lyrics. Um, just as an aside, according to Drowned in Sound, 28,000, as repeated in the chorus to Stella's single, The Wheel, which was the, the, that and possibly the first track are, are the two strongest tracks on the album for me, is apparently, by coincidence, the number of troops NATO anticipated deploying to Kosovo, the number of street-working children in Kabul, as determined by a survey in the late 90s, and the number of minors killed by firearms in the US between 2002 and 2012. Powerful stuff indeed. It's also not going to be the average gate Newcastle United attract to the championship next season. <laughs> but uh, I think uh, both of you have got some familiarity with the album already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: a little bit, yeah. yeah. Not not a lot. I mean, Community of Hope actually I thought was a very interesting first track because it's, it's actually quite... Um, sort of surprisingly breezy and, and light in not in terms of lyrical kind of, but the actual music is quite light I mean I think it's a, it's a sort of uh, companion piece to Let England Shake and Let England Shake was a, a sort of quite strange um, type of protest folk music and this new one is kind of similar but it's it's louder and it's angrier and like you say the Let England Shake was very much focused on I think the sort of English British experience in World War One, whereas this is definitely much more internationalist and it's also that was, I think that was partly criticised why is she suddenly doing an album about um, World War One whereas this one when there's so much else going on in the world this album is about here and now it's about conflicts um, around the world now um, I think it, well f- from the little I've heard of it, it, it it's again a really powerful album um, I think it's it's worth saying that it's good that this has been picked up because I think it's become the case that now that her when she brings out an album it isn't in a, an event now I think. Yeah. Um, and
2: this was the record that she did where she recorded it live as part of the kind of <clears throat> museum installation project, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. Which exactly. was which was a really interesting kind of um approach to making an album. I know the bands um from Washington DC Beauty Pill did a similar thing Weirdly, completely independent of the uh, the PJ Harvey project of being in a kind of art studio and having people come in and watch it. But I think putting yourself on the spot, you know, like that to make a record and having people like viewing you as you do it, I think is, is a really interesting thing. And, and you know, it, one of the great things about, you know, talking about how politically charged the album is. Um, people are going out and buying it. You know, it's the number one album um, yeah. this mm-hmm. this week, you know. Like, so um, that's a, that's a really kind of... It shows that it isn't just, you know, a bunch of musos who are interested in, you know, people who keep up with the Mercury Music Prize. You know, she's really got that... She's on that level, I think, with, you know, Radiohead as a band where people will just drop everything and mm. go and buy oh, the yeah. new album. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: She's um, I also read I didn't didn't hear this at the time, but
2: apparently she's been awarded
1: an MBE since the England right. Shake and that right. I mean, that obviously hasn't dulled her sort of the political aspect of it or the, the I mean generally it's angry, isn't it? It's, it's an angry album, yeah, I think. Very yeah. much so, um, yeah. It's a cracking piece of yeah,
0: work. Yeah. yeah. Other 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 albums that have stood out for
2: you guys? Yeah. Uh, nothing <laughs> <particularly, laughs> that's particularly. Um I mean there hasn't uh, yeah so far this year, um I'd say the ones that we've we've been reviewing have been, you know, kind of interest you know, interesting ones. There's there's a lot I think to that I'm keen to go and check out um more of um the the new Trams album I want to get my hands on, which is Modern Dancing, um and and really kind of get immersed in that. Um there's um there's a there's some new stuff going to be happening with Wolf Parade as well, um, yeah. who which I'm um, a big fan of of their stuff. Um, the guitarist um, in in Wolf Parade is now in a band called Operators as well, who are putting out some pretty interesting stuff as well. Um, We're both fans of Exposing in
1: the Sky. Yeah, I haven't actually heard their album other than the heard, snippets of yeah hear. I've heard oh, it sounds really good yeah Just really too, interesting too short was, yeah. songs are too short but, <laughs> Um and uh the Parquet Courts album actually as well the right. like that, that's interesting it's kind of another step away from what they were doing in Light Up Gold Um, possibly not in the direction
2: I necessarily want them to
1: go in but it's a very interesting album I think yeah I've um, only
2: heard one track the yeah. The one, the one about Berlin. Berlin, yeah, yeah, yeah which looks a bit nah. oh, okay, <laughs> mad. Um, yeah. But there's probably a lot going on there. They do they That's one, one of the good things about songs. them. One of the good things about them is they have got quite a lot of variation in that kind yeah. of four piece setup.
0: Yeah, from my point of view, I think there's two or three I pick out. I mean, Christine and the Queens, uh, "Chaleur Humaine," um, kind of icy synth pop that mm. makes no bones about its sexuality and contains a very powerful duet with Perfume Genius. Um, the only quibble with this for the uh, anoraks amongst us is that the French version of the album was released a couple of years back. Um, and I don't think it's changed that much. So there will be some discussion as to whether it can count as a 2016 release. Um, (laughs) others, um, Polisa, United (coughs) Crushers. I mean, there's a lot of this stuff around at the moment, probably too much in the wake of kind of war paints emergence a few years ago. Um, But Single Wedding, at least, I think, could be up there as one Mm. of the tracks of the year. Absolutely terrific track that also takes a political stance. The subject of it is police brutality. Um, And, I mean, as you inferred as well, Neil, I mean, Savages, the the album Adore Life that we reviewed in episode one probably has to be up there. Um, And then... We're all a little bit biased locally here, but the collaboration between Oxford's Tiger Mendoza and Dave Griffiths, The Shadow, 12-track album, definitely deserves wider recognition. Absolutely excellent, well-crafted piece of work with like some really, really interesting tension between you two artists going on and some really breathless vocals, um, even though it's largely instrumental. So those are the, probably the ones I'd pick out. Yeah. And there's just a quick word about live experiences we've had this year, uh, Anything you'd, you'd like to single out as being particularly good?
1: Mm. Well, and most recently I went to see um, Girls' Names uh, mm. in Oxford. Um, now, they're a, a four-piece from uh, Belfast, um, and when I saw them, I don't know if it was their first gig back in the UK, but they were they were fresh, in inverted commas, from eight shows in five days, at South by Southwest. Um, uh, and that could have gone either way. Um, they could have been jaded or they could have been... Pin sharp, and yeah. I thought they were sharp um the reviewer for the Oxford Mail thought the opposite um <laughs> i i I thought them um, yeah i thought I thought they were very sharp um they they're not dissimilar actually to Wire who we're going to discuss uh, shortly um on their new album anyway arms around a vision i don't think um they were uh, surprisingly loud um live though really, really loud um and it's it's sort of very tightly coiled post punk um but every now and again the song would just creep on and on and on. It became a bit sort of kraut-rocky, but with really intense um, sort of guitar and drums. Um, the poor drummer was, uh, yeah, really overworked, I thought. <laughs> he was, sort of, it was using the sort of Stephen Morris, um, Joy Division-type drum lines, but just, right. he just playing for ages and ages. Yeah. Um, but he didn't seem to break a sweat, so very impressive. Um, in terms of things that are kind of coming up on the horizon, um there's the, the 20th anniversary shows for um, Everything Must Go, um, the Manics are putting on. Um, and I went to one of the uh, the gigs they did at the Roundhouse for the Holy Bible two years ago, which was, um, I felt I had to be there for one, I really enjoyed. Um, I like Everything Must Go, but I'm not, I'm not, i said don't feel the urge to go and see this. Do you think um, they'll be doing 20th anniversary shows for Lifeblood? Well, I've, I've written, can we, can, <laughs> we expect, can we expect them to be doing? This is my truth. Tell me yours in two years' time. <laughs> Lifeblood? No, I don't think so. No. Um, but they seem to have been bitten by the bug. I, I do like the album, but I'm not itching to go and see them. I have to say they're they're playing. I'll speak to some friends if you can who are going to see them at um, the Liberty Stadium, where they're being supported yeah. by Super Furries and um, Public uh, Broadcasting yeah um so yeah sort of being supported by super furies it's like being back in 1996 <laughs> yeah. isn't it really so yeah. But,
0: yeah. decent yeah. bill though um yeah. and i think also in terms of anticipation i think ben we, we were wondering about the radiohead album and does anybody know what we <laughs> might expect from that when it comes
1: well there's been some comment hasn't there but um uh, someone who said it described it as being like nothing you've ever heard now that was initially claimed of being comic from Radiohead's management and it's since been denied it was, someone, it was their someone from their management company but someone who's not actually involved in their management. Now, that's basically how every Radiohead album yes. is announced, though. Um, and to be honest, that was not a good thing for me with King of Limbs. Um, I felt that they've kind of got themselves in a position where they can do whatever they want, but they certainly don't have to expect people to like it. And I didn't like King of Limbs at all. So they've got a lot of work to, uh, to do for me to, to get back um, to where they were. Um, I'll always take an interest in them because of because of what they've done in the past. Though, I have to say.
0: Yeah, me too. I think. Um, and um, Neil, any any gigs at all? I mean, you, I mean, I have to say at this point that Neil has got a very good band, beckoning fair ones that are playing sort of regularly on the scene in Oxfordshire. So um, that often yeah. I mean, in terms of in terms matches. of like
2: things coming up, like um, the thing that we're involved with, which if anyone is local to Oxford, which I'd encourage you to come and you know come along and take part and you don't have to come and watch my band uh, there's a, a very kind of small Camden crawl style event called the punt that um, Night Shift Music Magazine runs in Oxford every year for new bands and uh, you get a, an interesting snapshot of what's going on in the city um, locally in terms of you know new bands that are coming out and it's always very varied it's across five venues in the city centre the tickets are cheap you can wander from one to the other um it, you're not going to end up going to the the converse you know like takeover arena like you would in <laughs> south by southwest you know you're going to be in a regular music venue
0: yeah i mean my only live experience to talk about at the moment although i have been to a number of gigs particularly locally is i saw tinder sticks in the norman city of rouen an achingly trendy club on the <laughs> river Seine called the 106 club Absolutely superb, really, really good gig as always from Tender Sticks, although I do admit to craving seeing them with the full orchestra, and only the Barbican and one or two other venues seem to get mm-hmm. that privilege yeah. these days. It's not quite as good when there's only about five of them, but I can totally understand why they can't always get 18 <laughs> people together. So terrific band to see live that you absolutely must see if you get the opportunity. So we're going to move on, having talked a little bit about months past albums, um, to this this month's album, and it's very recently released album by Wire. It's their fifteenth album, "Nocturnal Koreans." Um, intriguing title that apparently is based on a night spent in a New York hotel room. But we'll have to look up and only guess <laughs> at that. A <I>, um, <coughs> this album, this band, of course, first emerged. in in the punk era. Um, And they had a burst of innovation between 77 and 79 that saw three albums, Pink Flag, which I think is still regarded as their kind of classic, very, very tight album, despite having about 21, 22 tracks, Chairs Missing and 154. And interestingly, um, I think, Neil, the thing that is very fascinating about this is that it it came from the same sessions as last year's album.
2: Yeah. Um, and yet, it sounds like to me a pretty cohesive whole, um, and there's enough of a kind of through line through it to not feel like, oh, this is the offcuts that didn't make it onto um, onto the last. I'm always a little bit concerned when you know you hear a band saying, "Oh, we recorded all these songs in the same session, but somehow we just knew these ones were different, so we had to keep them back for the for another album." but I, I think it is impressive about them as a creative unit that they can come up with so much music and meld it together into two kind of different collections and it's them both sound very very strong um i think the uh the lead off track um uh, is which is nocturnal Koreans is, is a really kind of strong driving track um the one that i kind of had the best kind of response to was um Internal exile, which is kind of a slightly slower kind of picked song, but there's a there 's a darkness that kind of runs through it all um, it 's almost kind of uh, gothy at times, I think, particularly with the kind of guitar sounds, but it doesn 't end up sounding like achingly retro, like I think some you know bands, particularly kind of newer bands, are kind of trying to claw their way towards why do they need to do that because they' lived through it all and been through it all and they 'd be making albums through it all. Um, I think the track there's a track at halfway through called Numbered which is quite kind of like raw and powerful um, it has a bit of an almost a, you can hear the I Am The Fly kind of vocal kind of style in that one a little bit Um Another one that another one that really stood out to me is the closing track, which mm. is called "Fish's Bone," which you do start <clears up throat> listening to and thinking, "Is that Marquis Smith?" <laughs> <laughs> but I, just, I think the sort of kind of post-punk sound and a guy speaking over the top is enough to sort of make you sort of set you off wrong. But um, yeah, I, I think I think it's a really great snapshot of a band that's going through a really creative period. And I think it's even more impressive when you consider this a band that's kind of been running for 40 years, you know, because let's face it, most bands that are on that sort of, uh, you know, career trajectory are often not producing particularly creative or um, inspiring new material. Uh, They're basically trading off of old stuff. So yeah, I take my hat off to them and I, I think it's great that they're, keeping on bringing out stuff and keeping on you know being engaged with what's going on from a younger generation and you know the music that's all around them Ben? You... Uh, well I mean I,
1: I came to them fairly uh, recently actually um, and it was to it was Pink Flag um, I absolutely um, adore it um, it suddenly made me realise where Figazi got other ideas from I thought they were very original <laughs> band until I heard, until I heard a Pink Flag um, for me, it's far superior to pretty much anything else that came out in 1977. Um, really inventive musically, um, to my mind, pretty more influential, maybe, than Nevermind the Box. I don't know. Um, but... In terms of the stuff, stuff yeah. yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> I mean, to pick up what, what you said, Neil, um, I think it's it's very admirable that they are, they have this desire to continue making music because there's a lot of these sort of bands that are reforming. And why I did reform and did play at ATPs, yeah. for instance. Um, to be formed and just basically trade off former glories. Um, they don't want to do that. They don't want to be a heritage act. They don't want to be a legacy act. They want to, you know, Colin Newman said to Rolling Stone, "You have you have to be c- contemporary. You um, want to be contemporary. You don't want to be classic." Um, yeah, we fought very very hard for that status. It means more to us than anything else. So that means that they then, um, I think, means that they want to be judged against contemporary bands. Now, I wasn't actually hugely key on the album as a whole Um, I don't think it necessarily stands up to the likes of Savages who are kind of Mm -hmm. doing the same sort of ballpark, Um, I don't think it's as intense, Um, I don't think it's got the edge really Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of of what I did enjoy the last two tracks, um, you've mentioned Fish's Bones which is the, the last track um, to me, uh, it's bassist Graham Lewis singing that. To me, he sounded like Jim Morrison. Actually, <laughs> it's sort of Sonic Youth with Jim Morrison on the top. Yeah. Um, and the track before that, "Pilgrim Trade," I thought was really good mm-hmm. as well. Um, and and it, the rest of them was all all fine, but I didn't, it didn't really grab me, I have to say. Um, and in that sense, it kind of made me think a bit of Dinosaur Jr., who again, a band who reformed, but not just to play the old classics. They reformed to, to uh, make new uh, make new albums. Now, the first one or probably two um, albums of the Reformed or Junior I did really like, but the third one I thought, they're not really taking it anywhere mm-hmm. new. I still quite enjoyed it, but it made me think that um, it's always going to be judged against their past efforts. And yeah. for me, it's not, not a sort of damning and doubt listening to the album, but the first thing I wanted to do after after finishing playing this album was listen to Pink Flag, and I have yeah. listened to Pink Flag a lot this last week yeah. as a result of, of hearing that. Um, so I kind of feel like it was it's still good and like you say, it's still creative for a yeah. band and and the three three of the members the three original members are all in their 60s now mm-hmm. um it's worth saying that they've had a sort of infusion of young blood um with uh, a guitarist Matt Sims who is actually in this sort of indie pop band that's hooks mm-hmm. back who I also really liked um but and i think he large. brings a lot yeah.
2: i i think his guitar playing and yeah. the other aspects he brings some kind of other instrumentation yeah. to some of the songs that i think um uh, adds to it yeah I'd say this record probably has more in common maybe with where they were at with 154 yeah. than than with Pink Flag yeah. which was kind of more visceral and more kind of well,
1: in your face number does the track you picked out yeah. the fifth track does
2: have that kind of slightly more like
1: Pink Flag and it also actually has a call out effectively or call back to uh, Three Girl Rumba as well that's as right as a reference yeah, in yeah. There, like a lyrical reference um, which is interesting because they're a band that as I've kind of implied earlier they don't really like looking back I don't think there's that great um Thing, that when they sort of earlyish in their career didn't they they decided that they didn't want to be playing the hits so they actually got a a wire tribute band to play stuff from pink flags so then they could concentrate on their own stuff um
0: didn't know that yeah yeah i mean of course one of the interesting things that i had forgotten until i, I read up in the rough guide to rock about them uh, early on was that they settled out of court with elastica yes in, yeah in the mid 90s yeah. uh on a plagiarism charge which uh <laughs> mainly makes you think how people like Franz Ferdinand of that got away with it no, you know, a years later it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen, if you listen to <laughs> the first time I heard Three
1: Girl <laughs> Rumba you think how on earth did Lasker think they were going to get away with it it's, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable but, yeah,
0: uh, yeah. Um, but I think it was interesting actually it was in the write-up in the Rough Guide, um, I don't want to quote it at too much length but it says two of the things that were very very unfashionable for bands in the punk era were to be um, art house graduates, and to be old in inverted commas, and it said why were we both? And I thought if they were old in 1977, <laughs> bit harsh. here yeah, they yeah. are. Um, so I've looked at their career. I mean, 15 years. They did have like a big gap actually, where they did spell mm. up for about 12 years in the middle of it. Um, they also did a performance piece for the Oxford Museum of Modern Art. So, oh, right. Yeah, which sounds interesting as well. So maybe they could be tempted back. But I thought it was a, 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 a really enjoyable album. Actually, I mean, it doesn't overstate its welcome. It's very short. Yeah. You know, one could say that means not value for money. But personally, I prefer albums to be shorter rather than longer. Um, like you say, you know, like really not what you expect from Wire. I, I, I you know, it wasn't the the, the the word angular hasn't cropped up at all. No these discussions. I mean, it, it it's more lush, really. Yeah. You know, there's keyboards. There's, you know, the guitar work, as you said, is 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 more sort of indie-ish, almost yeah. more goth-like. Um, yeah, really pleased to have acquired it and really enjoyed it. And yeah. they said, didn't they? That
1: one of the differences from the last album was that it was going to be more sort of studio focused or something. Like there, yeah. there was going to be more effects. They were mm. going to basically put into the album whatever they thought it needed to to sort of build the songs up. I think so. That does that's quite unlike the likes of Pink Flag. I think, isn't it?
2: Yeah, so, you know, yeah, you know, definitely. More, more and that's kind of a journey I think they've yeah. been on. I mean, I'd, I'd recommend, um, whether or not people go for this album, it's also worth um, trying out um, the album they released a few years back called Red Barked Tree, right. uh, which is kind of in the same ballpark to what they're doing in this record, maybe a bit more abrasive at times, um, but and, and it's a fuller kind of record as well. Um and it'll be interest I I think they're a band that's always interesting to see what direction they kind of take things in. They do a um a festival which I think is called Drill, Drill which yeah, is down yeah. in, in Brighton. Yeah. And they always get some really interesting yeah. bands playing at it they kind of curate and run it. Um and it's good to see a band really engaged with the kind of the music scene in that way, I think. Um, Possibly, maybe not, you know, the Rolling Stones are at or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's a good time
1: to be a, a sort of a post-punk. The yeah. Post-punk yeah. Godfather's really good yeah. post-punks everywhere, isn't it? Absolutely, so, yeah, well, it has been for a long time
0: um, yeah. now. Yeah. Um, well, that's great, guys. I mean, that's a good summary of WIRE's new album, which I would recommend that people hunt out. Uh, just a few coordinates to finish the show, our fourth show. Um, to straight listen, soundingboard.podbean.com. To subscribe iTunes, and again, please do leave us a review, which I'm told goes a long way to making this more popular, on Twitter, at Soundingboard69, so keep up the interaction there. Definitely keen to kind of reply to people and to be interactive. Uh, Well, if you want to get in touch over email, our account is Soundingboard at gmx.com. Also, if you follow us on Twitter, you'll see a link to Spotify playlists within a few days of releasing each episode. Um, we feel that this is the best way of making up for the fact that we can't really have any music on the show apart from Neil's excellent theme tune. Um, and these are constructed with the aid of our engineer stroke backroom guy, David backroom Cox. Boy, yeah. uh, and he's he and, and Ben has been one of the main drivers behind choosing the tracks and so sort of usually reflects the, the bands we've talked about in the show. So if you haven't heard of the bands, you can go and listen to what they sound like and um so goodbye and thank you for listening and for all the social media interaction we hope to be back with episode five in less than a month